feedback edition well listeners who are in the business feedback edition probably the quickest way to get yourself booked on this show is send me a text as you're listening to the show because you're mad or disagree with something i said in the show and ari washerman our our excellent ohio state writer who also covers recruiting for the athletic texted me and said i was yelling at my radio when i was listening to the jim harbaugh stuff on your last podcast and i said excellent that means you're coming on the next podcast. So, Ari, welcome in. Hey, Andy, it's good to be on. Well, so what we l- let me reset it for the folks. The question I got in the Dear Andy edition of this podcast was, at what point does Michigan kind of get, you know, tired of what's going on there? Uh, Harbaugh not being able to beat Ohio State, not being able to win the Big Ten, that sort of thing. And my response was, Michigan itself is in the administration, isn't getting tired of that anytime soon. They're, they're happy because they feel like it's better than it was. They're not sure they could get an upgrade over what they have now. And so don't expect them to do much. Now, if Harbaugh himself gets tired of this and, and decides he wants to do something else, that would feel more likely than Michigan deciding, hey, it's not good enough. Now, the Michigan fan base is a little bit different story because – a lot of those guys are, are very sick of them losing to Ohio State, are, are very tired of kind of being on the same plane all the time. I, I think I call it the Bo Pelini territory, the, the, the Bo Pelini plateau, like he was at Nebraska, where basically at, at some point Nebraska fans just wanted to feel something different. And so that's that was my explanation. Now, Ari, where did I go wrong there? Well, the thing about it, Andy, is I don't think that you said anything that was wrong. Um. I think you're 100% correct in your assessment of it. My reasoning for screaming at the radio was, when did Michigan become a place that was okay with being just okay? Like, it's just, it's not as bad as it used to be, so this is fine. Isn't an attitude that I would have ever expected to hear from a Michigan, um, you know, viewpoint. And, you know, they're paying their coach, what is it, $8.5 million a year? Top five paid coach in college football to be better than it used to be? And I think that there's a lot of, like, um, I personally think that Michigan should be a top 10 program in America. And I think that when things are humming the right way and they're doing things the right way and they let the right guy in, they could even be on the fringe of the top five. Um, And maybe I just haven't, like, rebooted my psyche into, like, what it is to be in 2020. And I understand that Urban Meyer changed the entire dynamic of the Ohio State football program and, you know, pushed them forward and, Michigan likes to tell themselves that they're not going to do the things that Ohio State does in order to get to that point. But when you look at recruiting strategy, you look at the you know basic behavioral patterns of the head coach, and then you compare it to how much these people are being paid, um, the location of the, the university, the type of school it is, the uniforms, the stadium, the tradition. I mean, is it going nine and three is like worth eight and a half million a year? Well, so that that's my thing. It, it feels like Michigan is operating 
in the old gentleman's agreement, Big Ten. You remember when Urban Meyer first got there and, and Brett Bielema and some other folks freaked out because Urban Meyer started yeah. recruiting guys that were committed to other Big Ten schools? And it was like, wait, you, you don't do that. There's a gentleman's agreement. It feels like Michigan's <laughs> kind of still stuck there. And Ohio State has certainly moved on. And Penn State's moved on. And I we're going to find out, I think, very quickly that Michigan State has moved on. So... What do you do if you are Jim Harbaugh and you're in that place and you want to not be in that place anymore? You know, I think that what's interesting is, is that people look at Ohio State from the Michigan side and go, oh, we're not going to lower ourselves to being that like them. What does like them mean? Has anybody seen like Jeff Okuda um, at the Combine or talked to him or seen his grades? Like, it's not like if you're a good football player, you have to be a terrible person. And I don't understand why there's a correlation between those two things. But Jeff Okuda, it would have been a take. 85 or 95%, maybe even more, of Ohio State's roster would have been a take at Michigan. So acting like these people are below you is just kind of a tired and terrible way of, of you know approaching it. Now, the fact of the matter is, is that their recruiting strategy is completely wrong. Nobody has any idea what they're doing. Their coach is just, frankly, a weird person. And... You know, I, I don't doubt the fact that he can assemble a football team, but he doesn't have the talent on his roster to compete with Ohio State. Right? It's like a really tough situation to be in. Like Ohio State would probably hate its life too if it went undefeated or lost one game and had to play Alabama or Clemson as their last regular season game every year. And that's what Michigan is facing. But good enough is not uh, is not something that I think that Michigan should accept. And I think that a lot of their fans have gotten to the point of, well, we're tired of losing to Ohio State, but it's better than what was happening uh, during the Brady Hoke era. You know, the fact of the matter is, is that I think Harbaugh was that bridge. I think people think that, like, um, a rebuild has to be completely done overnight by one coach, and that's not always the case. If Hoke was the, was the failure, they replaced him with the bridge, and now the next guy can take what Harbaugh built on that bridge, walk over that bridge, and now build a program that can compete. Like, I honestly think, and people think I'm nuts, but I think Mel Tucker would have a better – record at Michigan starting right now for the next five years based off what Harbaugh built and Harbaugh will. So let, let me ask you something, because you said something very interesting there, and you cover this particular aspect of, of college football very closely, so I want to get your, your thoughts on it. You said you feel like they have the wrong recruiting philosophy at Michigan. What is wrong about it? They're not in Ohio. Traditionally speaking, Michigan's best players in program history have come from Ohio. They're not in it. And like, if you go back and you look, um, there's, a, there's a huge difference um, from the 2009 to 2013 classes total. Um, I think uh, there were 88 four or five star prospects in Ohio and Michigan signed 17. And like from 2013 to currently, I think they've signed five. Like they're not in the state anymore. They're not even trying. They're, they have like this national recruiting brand. I think they're in Texas, California and Florida and New Jersey. And they're trying to like do this national brand, and they certainly are, but they've completely and utterly forgotten what, what their bread and butter is. And it's the same element of what I wrote in this Big Ten killer Kentucky story. There's, you know, 15 or 20 blue chip prospects in Ohio every year, and Ohio, only, Ohio State's only taking seven or eight of them on most years. Michigan's not taking the rest, and like, I don't know what they're doing. And like, their recruiting coordinator is not a good recruiting coordinator. Like, and I've had like multiple discussions with people, um, high school coaches and, you know, other people in the ranks 
um, that would be dealing with him to say, hey, he's not responsive, he's not on the ball. Like I, I think that their entire situation in terms of how their staff is made up is not up to snuff when it comes to recruiting. And like, I think Har- Jim Harbaugh is a fine football coach, but I don't think he has the right people in place or the discipline to, to replace them. And like I know that he's got a lot of turnover on his staff over the you know course of his Michigan tenure. Um, and, you know, it's kind of hard to keep replacing people and replacing people if he wants to keep them. But, like, think about what Mel Tucker would do if he took over at Michigan right now. He would completely gut the staff. He would bring in fierce recruiters, and he'd be in Ohio every single day. And Michigan's not there. And, like, I honestly think that Mel Tucker would have been the coach to make Michigan better. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because the Mel Tucker thing, you know, from the outside you look at it, okay, he went 5-7 and seven at Colorado his first year. I don't know that that really tells us much of anything because he inherited a, a situation where they had a decent quarterback but not a whole lot else and uh, you know we don't really know what his recruiting would have been because he was only there a year but we do know from his history and where he's worked how aggressively he'll he'll recruit what he's looking for uh, our colleague Bruce Feldman has talked to him fairly extensively about what he'd like to do and even at Colorado he was going to try to use those those Saban archetypes for each position and try to recruit to that which I don't think would have worked at Colorado because I don't think you can get a bunch of 6-1 corners at Colorado because they're going elsewhere. However, I do think you can get those guys at Michigan State. And I'm curious as to what you think Mel Tucker's arrival in the Big Ten East does in terms of recruiting, not just against Michigan, but against Ohio State, against Penn State, and everybody else. Yeah, well, Penn State's not really in Ohio that much either. Um, I think that the biggest thing that's going to be is a head-to-head battle uh, with Michigan in Michigan and Ohio for the little that Michigan's in there. And I think it's going to have a bigger impact on Kentucky than it is going to have an impact on the Big Ten because I think the Big Ten's already losing in Ohio. Um, and Mark D'Antonio, like when they had those 15, 14 teams that like Michigan State beat Ohio State in one of the most talented Ohio State teams in the history of Ohio State. Oh, football yeah, that Ohio State playoff. team could have won the national title that year and probably should have. And they lost to that Michigan State team that was built off of three-star Ohio kids that got developed. And, like, that's what Michigan State is to me. Michigan State, at its ceiling, is a very good Big Ten team that has a chance to potentially win the conference once every four or five years when everything lines up. So, to me, I think the idea that Mel Tucker is going to be all over Michigan and the players that – Michigan was getting um, in its own state. And then on top of that is going to be a roadblock for Michigan for trying to even get back in Ohio for good. Like, I think people forget that like Mel Tucker was the person who worked for Jim Trestle in the early 2000s that built the wall around Ohio. Like, yeah, you got Troy Ohio's Smith. State. Yeah. And you, don't, and you don't have to like look that far back. It was like 15 years ago, and then Ohio State hasn't like allowed anybody to come in regularly and take talent. Michigan used to come in and take talent Ohio State wanted. I can count on one hand in the previous 10 years that Ohio State's lost um, a player that they desperately wanted. And, like, the only player or team that has happened to do that is Clemson, and go figure. Um, so, like, I don't think Ohio State's going to be threatened by Michigan or Michigan State in their own state, but I do think there's a lot of talent in Ohio that could hurt Ohio State down the line if people are, are recruiting it the right way. Like, you think that Michigan State or Michigan would have liked to have Lynn Bowden last year? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, and here's the the thing about that. So if you haven't read Ari's Kentucky story yet, go read it. He he talks about how Mark Stoops went into Ohio. And I remember going to see Mark Stoops. I think he'd been at Kentucky a year. And he explained to me, hey, we're going to recruit Ohio hard because 
people don't get the geography here. You know, Lexington, Kentucky is only a short drive from Cincinnati. It's not that far from Columbus. So really good players from Ohio can treat Kentucky like a local school, essentially, except you get to play in the SEC. And that was his pitch. And it didn't hurt Ohio State because obviously Ohio State is going to take what it wants from Ohio. But it was those other schools that had made a killing in Ohio that suffered. And now those guys are going south. Yeah, and it's just like, to me, Michigan should never get beaten Ohio State for secondary kids. And, like, I don't know who Michigan's getting. If you go look at their classes, that they wouldn't take over those three or three-star uh, or low-end four-star prospects in Ohio that can turn out to be great players. But their presence and their lack of it in Ohio is the reason why they're not doing things right. And it's just like I, I've, like, beaten this over the head over and over again on Twitter. Michigan fans want um, – who want to see me out of the business. I think they're tired of me. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that people like look and they go, Oh, you covered Ohio state. So you must hate Michigan. No, it's like, I'm like, do you feel like I'm the only person that is demanding them to rise up to what I think they could be, which is great. And I feel like it's more of a compliment than it is a, an insult. And it's just not working there. I don't think that the coaches are particularly aggressive on the recruiting trail. I don't think that the recruiting coordinator has the right plan. And I don't think the head coach knows, um, there is not, in a position right now to kind of up end everything that is occurring there to try to turn this, the ship around. And it's like the type of person that could do that is Mel Tucker. And like Michigan's a better brand than Michigan state, but he's just at the wrong school. But I do think that like Jim Harbaugh, when it's all said and done, and I don't know if it's going to be in a year or five or seven or eight years, um, if consistently winning nine or 10 games the way that you said on your podcast last week. But I think this is going to turn out to be the bridge back to greatness rather than, the person who leads them do greatness. And I think that that's, that's fine. Being the bridge is a good thing, but I don't think he's the stage that people label. Yeah. That that's, that's the part that I think will, will shock people because that's not the, what he was sold as. That's not, he's not paid that way. And, and you, you bring up a good point with how much they pay him. Clearly they're paying him to compete for national titles, or at least that's what everybody else pays coaches who compete for national titles. So I, I, I do get that. It's it, it's a strange dichotomy where they're acting like they expect a national title program based on what they're paying, but you don't get that vibe off them any other way. I'm talking about the administration, not the fan base, of course. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know where the fan base is, but it doesn't seem like – I mean, honestly, I just know covering Ohio State, and maybe this is part of the thing that they don't want to lower themselves to, but if Ryan Day started off 0-3, Michigan, I think he'd get fired. How many how many t- losses in a row as a, at, a, at Ohio State would the head coach get to endure before he lost the the, the ability well, to be the head coach? Let's go to John Cooper. <laughs> now he did sprinkle in a win there, so that's that's probably the only way that 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 saved him then. But yeah, I mean, John Cooper got fired for not being able to beat Michigan. John Cooper was an otherwise great head coach. Simple as that, right? And he was like the first person that gave birth to like the whole national recruiting strategy at Ohio State. I mean, those teams, if you go look, the mid-90s teams were loaded. And I think it makes losing to Michigan even worse. And if you ever talk about John Cooper in Ohio, the only thing that people remember is his, was it 1-9-1 and record? That's the only thing people talk about. Um, and, like, nowadays, and I wrote this after the Michigan game, but I think Urban Meyer's success at Ohio State in accumulating talent at the level that he was accumulating it ruined the rivalry. Because Michigan stayed, like where you said, 
back in mid uh, early 2000s. And Ohio State now is in the future with Clemson, Alabama, and some in Georgia and some of the other schools. But meanwhile, like Jim Harbaugh made, you know, seven and a half million dollars last year, the third highest paid coach in college football, and the only two that are paid more than him are national champions. So it's just to me, you got to get the right recruiting coordinator in there. You got to attack Ohio, even if it seems hard. You got to get the Ohio kids that don't have Ohio State offers, and you have to start being a more talented group because Ohio State going to lose to itself and like their plan right now is well i hope that ohio state loses or gets worse or something bad happens and it's like ironically enough urban meyer um retired they hired ryan day and his first few classes were more ohio heavy which hurts michigan so it's just a very complicated situation i think and i just don't know you know the long and short of it is when it became okay to be kind of good at michigan it, it, it is a very interesting situation, but I want to take you to a different state now because you spent some time in the state of North Carolina recently, and there's some interesting stuff going on down there uh, with one of their, their home state schools and just the, the talent level there. So you, you did a story on Evan Pryor, who is a guy who is down to three schools. He's a running back. He's looking at Ohio State, Georgia, and North Carolina. Now let's play the old game. Which of these things is not like the others? Which of these things just doesn't belong? How did Mac Brown get into that company? You know, I, that's the whole thing. And, um, you know, check the athletic because I'm writing a big story about that. And the reason why I was in North Carolina is because I'm writing about Mac Brown. But the whole point of it is, is take North Carolina and treat it like it's a talent-rich state the way that Ohio is. And if you actually look at the numbers, North Carolina is in a, a tremendously deep state. Um, and in Mac Brown's first full class last year, he signed four top six players. The other two went um, to Clemson. And now this year, he's already, uh, you know, got a few commitments that are in the top 100 um, in the country that are in North Carolina, and they're like rolling. So I don't know how he's done it. I would say he's—I'm sure you've talked to him before. He's like the nicest, most down-to-earth cool coach I've ever spoken to in terms of just being warm and, you know, selling his vision and, you know, all the things that he's doing. But, you know, I think that the idea of his first stint there being very familiar with the landscape, um, they made an initiative to send uh, their coaches to every single high school in North Carolina, even if they didn't have players to build those relationships. And they've had a huge emphasis of where to put the stake in the ground in North Carolina. And now they've got the number five class in the country in the 2021 group um, with, Eight commitments, all of which are from North Carolina. Yeah, so, and, and it started. Uh, it started early because the first thing they did when they got there was flip Sam Howell from Florida State. Now Florida State had issues at the time. Walt Bell had just left. He had been Sam Howell's primary recruiter, so it, it made sense that Sam Howell was was looking around. But they got him, and Sam Howell is, you know, maybe the most exciting freshman quarterback in the country last year. So you you got that. And now you've got Drake May, another quarterback, another North Carolina guy, flipping from Alabama to North Carolina, which sounds a little like the uh, the Jake Fromm story because Jake Fromm was committed to Alabama. Kirby Smart gets the Georgia job, and Fromm flips to Georgia. Yeah, and then like I don't know if people know this, but Drake May is the younger uh, brother of Luke May, and his father was a quarterback in North Carolina, so he has all those roots. But like Andy. We're talking the number six pro-style quarterback and the number 56 overall player in the country. Like, that is a huge debt for North Carolina. Like, you want to talk about, like, sustained success? 
you know, Sam Howell was great, and he, he his career is going to be exciting to watch, see how it plays out. But having him as the poster boy of this program right now, as a North Carolina guy, and then having May coming in um, with uh, four or five other players who are ranked in the top 200 and in the North Carolina um, group, like ACC is there for the take, and that's kind of like what I'm writing about. It's like Florida State is down, um, you know, Virginia Tech isn't what it used to be. Like there was an opening there. Miami's not what it used to be. Uh, to really get in there. And, like, I know that Clemson can still go into North, Carol- uh, North Carolina and take what it wants. But, you know, at a certain point, if they continue to build through their own state the way that they're doing it, like, I think North Carolina is going to be a legit team in the ACC. And, like, you have to start somewhere. And the way that they're starting it, like, Matt Brown really seems to get it. And I think it's, like, really funny, too, because people thought that, you know, how's this 67-year-old man going to go in there and reinvigorate recruiting? But, man, he's done it. And, like, just being in his office, you can just sense his, his energy. And, like, I'm, like, completely bought in on it because the results are there. The talk is one yeah. thing. Every coach can say, we're going to put a, a gate around our state. How many coaches actually do that? Like, he's doing it. You got Matt. It happens to everyone. Don't worry. When you sit in that Matt, office, that like you, 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 do, you finally understand how when Mac was at Texas – he would have 25 commits on the junior day after signing day. They'd all just like file into his office. He'd offer them, they'd commit, and it'd be over. It's just that he has that that skill. And obviously at Texas, things changed. The, the world kind of turned on him. But he came back after that time at ESPN. He'd been paying attention. He'd been watching the way the game was going. And I tell you what, he came to North Carolina with a plan and then he turned on that Mac Brown charm, and you saw it in his office. That when when he hits it, hits you with it, it is very hard to not be like, "Oh yeah, I'd love to play for this guy." Who wouldn't want to play for this guy? Like, and I don't know. I didn't know. Maybe I was naive that that was a thing. But like, he was. You know. You know. One another thing that like people do um, that I always notice, and I think most people notice, is when you're talking to a very warm and personable guy and they use your name when they're speaking. That's like a very cool skill. And I think that Mac Brown does it. And when you're talking to a guy that coached Vince Young and has all these rings on the table and Air Jordan's all over his office and everybody knows who he is, but like can come down and like just talk to you man to man, face to face. I think that there's a certain level of comfortability there. And I certainly could see why somebody would want to play for him. And like people are, you know, when he first got to North Carolina, he was selling, uh, Vince Young and Texas and national championships and you know what he did somewhere else and now he's actually like selling results. If you were to guess on average how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? A week maybe? Actually, on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. Basically, a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides the treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You'll also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com staples for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com staples 
for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. It is amazing how quickly he had he got something tangible to sell. And a lot of that is Sam Howell was as good as he was. That offense worked as well as it did. They've got a really good group of receivers that most of those guys are back this year. But you're right. It, it, it shifted very quickly from, hey, I'm the guy who won all these games at Texas to this is the team of the future in, in this division, in the ACC Coastal. I mean, let, let's think about it. I, I think Georgia Tech's going to get better under Jeff Collins, but you know they, they're still in the midst of a, a big-time overhaul because they're, they're switching from the triple option. Virginia Tech is in a weird place. I think Virginia will be solid under Bronco Mendenhall, but it's still Virginia. You don't know how, how good they can be consistently. We will see with Miami what the new offense brings, but they've not been consistent over the years. I mean, think of that, that thing is for the taking, and North Carolina seems very well positioned to this point. You know, one thing I wanted to say too, Andy, is that geographically, it's a very hard state to recruit in. Like, in terms of we're going to yeah. put borders around our state. Like, it's like in the ACC territory where Clemson can can shoot on up, and you've got, you know, SEC schools coming up. And, you know, it's it's a state that everybody's in. So, like, the fact that they're doing this, it's like flipping from Alabama and being in the hunt with Ohio State, North Carolina for prior. Like, this is all happening. But, like, think about the main brand schools. Every school's got Notre Dame's in there, Ohio State's in there, Alabama, Georgia. Every single major school in America is recruiting Ohio and North Carolina still winning these battles. Yeah, because, I mean, everybody's got direct flights to Charlotte and to the Research Triangle. So it, it's it's a strange state from a recruiting standpoint. You're right, and, and it's it's long and skinny, which means it's got a lot of border states. And then the other, the other piece of it is there are four Power 5 schools in the state. <laughs> That's crazy. And then East Carolina, which has Mike Houston now and is going to get better, a really good group of five program traditionally. So I, that that's that's a lot to fight against, but it, it's really impressive what Mac and them have done. Now, I, I got to I gotta get you in on this game, Art. We have a, a game on this show. I don't know if you've heard it yet. It's called Draft Analysis or Erotic Fiction. I've got a really good one for you today. So I'm going to give you... <laughs> I'm going to give you two passages, and you're going to tell me which one is legitimate NFL draft analysis and which one is from a romance novel with a pirate on the cover. So here's wow, That's incredible. Here, here we go. I tried to, and I, you know, deliberately tried to make them as close as possible. So we'll see if we'll see if I I, I could get you. All right, here is the first passage. At least six six and solid, with broad shoulders, lean hips and long legs. That is passage one. Now, passage two. Elite wiggle triggered by fluid hips. So, elite wiggle triggered by fluid hips or at least 6'6 six, six and solid with broad shoulders, Dude, this is lean hips, like, sure. and long legs. Going to be number one, but I I feel like number two has to be the NFL draft analysis. I don't know how else like elite wiggle can be used. Elite wiggle is the giveaway, right? That that is I got to I got to make it harder next time. Okay, all right. So you you win. You got me this time. That passage is Lance Zerline, our friend from NFL.com, who also does radio in Houston. Uh, he's talking about Saquon Barkley when Saquon was in the draft. And, and Saquon does indeed have elite wiggle triggered by fluid hips. But passage A 
is from The Rebel Billionaire, Scandals of the Bad Boy Billionaires by Ivy Lane. And uh, it's referring to a character that one of the other characters calls the lawnmower hottie. The, the next sentence, by the way, after uh, my Google search history is not pretty right now, and uh, I don't <laughs> recommend anybody look at it. But no. So let me let me read you the whole paragraph and, and, and we'll put it in better context. At first, I'd only seen him mowing his yard, always shirtless, his chiseled body on full display. He was tall, taller than my brothers and cousins, at least six, six and solid with broad shoulders, lean hips and long legs. All of him was covered in muscle and what seemed like acres of tattoos. I almost left that <laughs> acres of tattoo sentence in there because I thought that probably works for the draft too. But, you know, I, I definitely – I feel like I got closer this time to tricking the, the, the contestant. But I'm going to have to work on that. that we, we've got a while till the draft. But if you, if you are reading any, you know, romance novels with Fabio on the cover – by all means, if you see something that looks like draft analysis, send it to me. I will say that that game, if you came up with it, is, is, like, is the reason why you're brilliant. <laughs> I did come up with that game. And, uh, now, Dane Brugler helped our, uh, our, our draft analyst at The Athletic because he – I'm blanking on exactly what he said or who he was talking about, but he came up with one of the most erotic passages I have seen about anyone – and he was referring to a defensive tackle. <laughs> I thought I was going down too. Like when you told me about this, I'm like, I'm not going to be able to get this, but I just don't know. Like the word elite is what gave it away. Diggy Wiggleton, uh, but elite, elite is not, I think there's a word that you should avoid moving forward. I, I will. I, yeah, I gotta, I gotta get rid of the, uh, the draft buzzwords. You're right. But I do feel like I can find some draft analysis where someone spends a paragraph talking about a dude's butt. And I really think I can probably trick somebody. Hey, you know what? I, I don't doubt that you will because it was pretty close. I thought for sure I was going to take one. When you said it, I thought one was the answer. I didn't when I hadn't heard two yet. Because like, lawnmower hottie or Saquon Barkley, the lawnmower hottie probably could play tight end. I mean, judging by that description, I think he could be yeah, a good I mean, NFL six, tight end. Six and then muscle, yeah, and tattoos too. I I draft that guy. <laughs> exactly exactly well the good news is there's plenty of time i'll make sure i have you on again before the draft and i will come up with the most impossible one i can come up with because i yeah, do I feel like we're gonna get someone uh, exactly exactly and meanwhile we'll probably bring you back on to ask you how much hate mail you got from michigan fans after this one i think they should agree with me that's the thing that like really annoys me andy like it's like don't you want your team to be better yeah, but you cover Ohio State. That's what made him. If like, if you covered, like you you you're from Arizona, right? That's where you grew up, right? I'm from Arizona, and I went to yeah. U of A. Like, right. So if you were covering Arizona saying this, they'd be like, "Yeah, I agree 100." percent But because of your proximity to the Ohio State program, even though you just cover it, you're not a fan of it. It, it it's going to bother people. It's like well, anytime I say anything about Florida State, State is, the, is the reason I know what I know. Like, if I covered Arizona, I wouldn't know that. And, like, if anybody wants to, to know how I treat my alma mater, you can go read uh, what I wrote about Arizona football in November. <laughs> yes, that was, that was pretty ruthless. Dear Arizona, how come you can't recruit two miles from your own campus? Love, Ari. They can't recruit. Yeah. Don't try. They don't even try. <laughs> 
this is and this is the thing and and we'll we'll have you on quite a bit Ari because I also love recruiting and think it is critically important. I understand its place in the college football universe and I love that you get so personally offended when programs don't recruit at their optimum level or have an incorrect recruiting strategy. You you take personal offense. It bothers you on a human level when programs don't recruit the way they should. It's because it's the fundamental basis of whether you're going to be successful. In my opinion, it's like 85% of the job. So, like, obviously, every single thing, every program um, in America has one thing in common. The head coach has to uh, recruit in his area very well. But there's no job, big or small, where you're going to be successful without doing that. So, like, when coaches can't even get past step one, it's like, why are you getting paid $3 million and driving around a white Porsche around Tucson, Arizona, and you can't drive that Porsche two miles up the street where there's the best running back in America going somewhere else? Like, there's no excuse, in my opinion, for Ohio State, Texas, and um, other schools being in a Tucson high school more than the Arizona staff. And it's like if I were the athletic director of a, of a program, I would evaluate effort and um, competency in the recruiting world more than I would wins and losses, especially in the first few years. Uh, you, you hear about coaches talking about offensive mind and set offense and all these like trigger words for like what makes a coach great, but like nobody ever talks about the most fundamental thing um, in every sport and that talent accumulation. The Patriots are great as Bill Belichick. The Patriots have been the best of talent evaluation. Yes, they have one of the best quarterbacks of all time, but again, talent evaluation. How is that any different in college? Right. And the difference in college football is there's no draft. You if you You like them who you want. Exactly. You can get as many of the ones as you like as you want. So yeah, it is it is truly amazing. So we will we will be in touch, Ari, because this is not a December and February thing. This is a year round thing. This matters year round. And we're going to keep talking about it. So, Ari. Yeah, what let's, North Carolina just did, Andy, is more important than any win they had last year. Exactly. Exactly. Now, Ari, let's, let's tell the, the people what, what we think. The, the, the motto here is stars matter. Uh, I mean, like, if there's ever a recruiting podcast on the athletic, like, is that not the name of it? Well, I think you've just made your pitch. So, folks, subscribe, rate, and review Stars Matter when it comes out in about a month. Stars <laughs> Matter with Ari Wasserman. We've just invented a podcast. That's fantastic. Ari, yeah, you've done no, fine work today. Me venting for 20 minutes about a team that I think is recruiting long, and then that's it. Oh, I love Irrational it. screaming. This is going to be the most listened to podcast on the Athletic Network. I can feel it already. Ari just going off on the misguided recruiting strategies of various schools. I'm here for it. I, you, you have your first subscriber. So Stars Matter with Ari Wasserman is coming up. We'll probably drop a bonus episode in the Andy Staple Show feed, mostly to goose my own listener numbers, because I know people will listen to that like crazy. <laughs> Thank you, Ari. Hey, anytime, Andy. Thanks for having me on. Okay, I'm sure a lot of you were yelling at your radio, just like Ari was when he was listening to my last podcast. So... Uh, for the complaints, that's at Ari Wasserman on Twitter. You can leave me out of it. Uh, I'm sure there are plenty of you fuming mad after listening to that, and that's cool. Listen, we're all about the open exchange of ideas here, so openly exchange your ideas with Ari. Feel free. He loves it. 
absolutely loves it. Thank you so much for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. If you love us, if you hate us, if you hate Ari, well, you know, what are you going to do? But we do love your five-star reviews, and we love all your constructive criticism. So whatever we can do to make this podcast better, we are happy to do it. But please listen, tell a friend, and we'll talk to you again soon.